One of the wonderful things you get when you get a personal relationship with Christ is you get a redemptive place to take your hurt and take your disappointment and take your grief. You don't have to take it to the bar and you don't have to take it to the casino. You don't have to take it to the porn flick or to the hash pipe or to the cheap motel room where the next day things are only worse. But there's a redemptive healing place you can take the hurts and the disappointments of life into the presence of God himself. And friends, there's a lot more going when you get a relationship with Jesus Christ than just getting to go to heaven. One of them is getting this wonderful access to God so that you can work through hurt in a godly, healthy way. That was Dr. Lon Solomon, and you are listening to So What? Join us now as Lon brings us a message from God's Word. And now, here's Lon. You know, it was May 26, 1959, And Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher Harvey Haddix was in the process of doing what no other major league player had ever done before or would ever do since. Harvey Haddix was pitching a perfect game against the Milwaukee Braves. That means no runs, no hits, no walks, no errors, no hit batsmen, nada, nothing. And he did that for nine innings. But what made this game special is that after nine innings, the Pittsburgh Pirates hadn't been able to score either. So Harvey Haddix pitched a 10th inning of perfect baseball. Pittsburgh still couldn't score. He pitched an 11th inning of perfect baseball. Pittsburgh still couldn't score. He pitched a 12th inning of perfect baseball. Pittsburgh still couldn't score. And in the 13th inning, the Milwaukee Braves scored a run and beat Harvey Haddix and the Pirates one to nothing. Harvey Haddix became the only man in Major League history to ever pitch more than nine innings of perfect baseball. He pitched 12 innings of perfect baseball, and he lost the game. You say, how could that happen? Well, he played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, what do you want me to say? That's how that happens. But do you think the man was disappointed? I mean, listen to what he said in an interview in Sports Illustrated in 1973. He said, and I quote, After 15 years, it still hurts to think about it. End of quote. Of course he was disappointed. He had every right to be disappointed. And this is what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about disappointment. Now, I looked the word disappointment up in the dictionary, and one of the many definitions was this. Disappointment is the feeling that results... When we want something really badly and it doesn't happen. Now, I believe as Christians we need to change that definition just a little bit because as Christians we, of course, know that God plays a role in every decision in life. So I'd like to suggest a slightly different definition for us as Christians. Disappointment is the feeling that results when we want something really badly and God says no. And God says no. Now, friends, even as Christians, disappointment hurts. And even as Christians, many times we struggle to deal with disappointment when it's something we really wanted. And so the question that we have to answer this morning is this. When God says no to us, is there any special way that God wants us as Christians to react to our disappointment? Any special way that he wants us to process our hurt and our grief so that it turns out to be something healthy and godly and not self-destructive. Is there any process like that in the Bible? Well, I believe there is. And today we're going to watch God tell David no. Tell David no about something he really, really wanted to do. 
And what I want you to see is how David, as a man of God, reacted to God telling him no. And out of that, we want to pull some principles that will work in the 20th century for you and me when God tells us no. So let's look. 2 Samuel 7, a little bit of background. David has become the king of Israel. He's living in a wonderful palace in Jerusalem. But the ark of God is being housed in a tent. And so David gets this passionate idea that he wants to build a permanent home for the ark, a building that we would later know as the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 1. And after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Nathan, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Nathan said, I think it's a wonderful idea to build this temple. Do it. Now, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically say it, but you have to figure that David had invested a lot of emotional energy, a lot of mental energy, a lot of intellectual energy in this great dream of his before he ever mentioned it to Nathan the prophet. Unless I miss my guess, I'll bet David would sit around at night and would mentally draw out plans for the temple. Unless I miss my guess, I'll bet you David would get up in the middle of the night and run to his desk to write down some idea that had suddenly come to him about the temple when he was sleeping. Unless I miss my guess, I'll bet you that around the dinner table, David would engage the people at dinner in conversation about how to design this building and where to put this building and which way it should face. Unless I miss my guess, I'll bet you that David had mucho meetings with his building designers saying, all right, what should we use for the material and how much will it cost and where do we get it from and where do we store it here in Jerusalem and where do we get the craftsmen to work with it? Friends, I think by the time he goes to Nathan the prophet, this man has invested hundreds and hundreds of hours of energy thinking about this great plan of his. And then look what happens. Verse 4. And that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Verse 12, David, you, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I'm going to raise up your offspring to succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name. And verse 17, Nathan reported to David all the words that God had told him. What happens next is that God says no. What happens next is that God says, no, David, you are not going to build this temple. No, David, you're not even going to live long enough to ever see this temple. No, David, in spite of all of your praying and all of your planning and all of your dreaming, and in spite of all the hours you've invested in this, no, David, the answer is no, you're not doing it. Do you think that was hard for David? I think it was very hard for him. I think this was the greatest thing he'd ever dreamed of. I think this was the greatest passion he ever had. I think much bigger a passion than building a great kingdom and much bigger a passion than living in a wonderful palace. He had a passion for God and a passion to do this for God. He wanted to do this so bad his tongue was hanging out. You think it was hard when God said no to him? I do. Which brings us to the most important question. And you know what the most important question is. I know it's raining outside. I know it's a glum day, but you can do this. All right. What's the most important question? One, two, three. So what? Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. You say, Lon, 
So what? I mean, I'm not going to build a temple, and so this has nothing to do with me. Oh, yes, it does, friends. I, I believe it does, because I believe that there's not a one of us here as a Christian who there hasn't been something in our life we really wanted so badly, and then God said no. This is the very type of spiritual crisis that David faced right here, folks. This temple was the grandest vision he ever had in his life. It was his passion. It was his heartbeat. It was something he felt was a wonderful thing to do for God. It felt so right. And yet God said, David, no. No. And many of us here have had that same spiritual crisis in our life where there was something in our life that we were so sure was so right and so good that God had to give it to us. But he didn't. He didn't. Now, how do you respond to this? How do you react to this? How do you process the hurt and the grief and the disappointment you feel when this happens in a way that's healthy and godly and not self-destructive? Well, David did four things to process his hurt and his disappointment. And I want to share them with you because they'll work for you and me. Number one, the first thing David did is he took his disappointment directly to the Lord. He took it directly to the Lord. Look at verse 18. It says that right after Nathan told this to David, verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. David did the right thing with his disappointment. He took his disappointment to the right place. He didn't take it to his friends. He didn't take it to his relatives. He didn't take it to his spouse. He didn't take it to his therapist. He didn't whine about it, complain about it, gripe about it, gossip about it. He went in and sat before the Lord with it. And may I say that if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that one of the wonderful things you get when you get a personal relationship with Christ is you get a redemptive place to take your hurt and take your disappointment and take your grief. You don't have to take it to the bar and you don't have to take it to the casino. You don't have to take it to the porn flick or to the hash pipe or to the cheap motel room where the next day things are only worse. But there's a redemptive healing place you can take the hurts and the disappointments of life into the presence of God himself. And friends, there's a lot more going when you get a relationship with Jesus Christ than just getting to go to heaven. One of them is getting this wonderful access to God so that you can work through hurt in a godly, healthy way. And if you don't have that, man, I hope you'll give strong to consideration to giving your life to Jesus Christ so you can. There's a second thing that David did. And that is that David did not take God telling him no personally. He didn't interpret God telling him no as personal rejection. He didn't turn it into a guilt trip, as so many of us do. He didn't say, oh, what did I do wrong that God would treat me like this? Oh, why is God punishing me? I must be a horrible person, a horrible person. That God would say no to such a wonderful idea. Oh, 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 I'm just a nothing. I'm just a worm. Somebody step on me and smush me. Now that's sick. That's sick. And yet so many of us, when God tells us no, this is what we do. We put our tail between our legs. We go sit in a corner. We feel sorry for ourselves. We get completely paralyzed. We give up. We say, I'm taking my marbles and going home. Is that what David did? Not at all. Uh-uh. I want you to see what David did. Turn with me, if you would, back to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. It's page 311 if you're using our copy of the Bible. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, page 311. Here we have King Solomon dedicating the temple. Many years later, David is dead. 
But Solomon goes back and tells the people what David, his father, told him. What you're about to hear here is what David told his son about this whole, this whole incident. Look what he says. 2 Chronicles 6, look at verse 7. Solomon speaking, my father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But, verse 8, the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. Do you understand this? What David told his son Solomon is Solomon, the reason God told me no had nothing to do with the fact this was a bad idea or it was a sinful thing or God was punishing me or I was a horrible person. No, instead God said to me, it's a wonderful thing you want to do, David. It's wonderful. David didn't see God telling him no as an act of rejection. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. Chuck Swindoll says that when God tells you no, it's not rejection, it's just redirection. And that's the way David saw this. When God told him no, he wasn't rejecting him, he was just redirecting him. And so he said, David, I didn't put my tail between my legs and give up. And friends, when God tells us no... The one thing he doesn't want us doing is crawling off in the corner feeling sorry for ourselves and saying we must be horrible people and God's out to punish us. No, no, no. It's connected to number three, the third thing that David did, and that's why David could react the way he did. The third thing he did is that David saw God's no through the eyes of faith. In other words, David, remember what Chuck Swindoll said, David didn't see it as rejection. He saw it as redirection. God had a different plan. God had a better plan. Look what he goes on to say to his son. He says, God said to me, what you wanted to do was wonderful. Nevertheless, verse nine, you are not the one to build the temple. I have a different plan, David, a better plan, a bigger plan than you can see. It's your son that's going to build the temple. And David said, Solomon, I want you to understand, that's how I saw this. I saw this, that God had something going on that I didn't fully appreciate, but folks, I was going to trust him anyway. And this is what faith is, my friends. Faith is trusting God when we can't see, when we can't understand, when we can't grasp what God is doing. And David decided he was going to see God's no through the eyes of faith, that he was going to trust God, even though he didn't understand, and for some reason that for Solomon to build the temple was better in the eyes of God, and David said, that's how I'm going to see it. Now, you know, when I lost this house, I'm telling you, this principle, seeing God's no through the eyes of faith, was very important to me. I had to force myself to do that. I had to force myself to say, well, the reason God didn't give us this house is because God has a bigger plan, a better plan for us. I had to force myself to believe the word of God, that all things work together for good to those who love God, even losing this house. I had to force myself to believe that one day when it was all said and done and we had the house God had for us, that I was going to look back one day and profoundly thank God that he didn't give me the house I wanted so badly. But you know, that wasn't quite far enough because I got there and I said, okay, God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assume when you give me the house that you finally want us to have, I'm going to be able to turn around and profusely thank you. And God said, Lon, you missed the whole point, son. That's not faith. Faith is not saying, well, I'll wait till I get the house and then when I see it and I realize it's better, then I'll thank you. No, that's not faith. I said, Lon, what's wrong with you? That's doubt. Faith means 
you thank me now. You thank me right now when you don't have a house. You thank me right now when you don't know what house I'm going to give you. You thank me right now before you ever see how this is going to work out. If you really believe, Lon, that all things are going to work together for good, and if you really believe I have a bigger and better plan that I'm going to work out for you, then there's no reason in the world you can't thank me right now. That's what faith's all about. And so I would get on my knees and I would say, God, okay. I thank you right now for that house that I wanted so bad. I thank you right now, God, that you didn't give it to me. That's how I started. Wasn't a pretty prayer. I got news for you. It was not pretty, but that's where we started. And I'm so glad that God takes you where you start and God gets you where you need to go. Because now I can pray and say, God, I still don't have a house and I still don't know what you're doing, but I can thank you, God, because I believe with all my heart that that house would have been a horrible mistake. I don't know why. But I believe it must have been or you'd have given it to us. And I thank you for that right now, God, by faith. My dear friends, the single greatest need we have as Christians and the single most powerful weapon we have as Christians when it comes to disappointment in life and God saying no to us in life is to see those disappointments through the eyes of faith. Okay, we didn't get the man we wanted. We didn't get the woman we wanted. We didn't get the job we wanted. We didn't get the car we wanted. We didn't get the house we wanted. We didn't get the promotion we wanted. We didn't get into the college we wanted. We didn't get into the grad school we wanted. We didn't get the project we wanted. Okay. Now what are we going to do with that? Are we going to say that God has a bigger plan and a better plan or we would have gotten it? And that all things are going to work together for good? Is that how we're going to see our disappointment? Or we're going to crawl in the corner and we're going to sulk and feel sorry for ourselves. Friends, I believe that there are some of us here who have been living under the oppression of God telling us no for years. And the way to get free is to force ourselves to see that disappointment through the eyes of faith. To stop trying to figure it out and just to trust God. You say, well, Lon, how do you do that? Friends, you do it by believing what God tells you that all things are going to work together for good. You believe God. Principle number four, and finally, is David cheerfully, could I repeat that word? David cheerfully subordinated himself to the will of God. David cheerfully subordinated his wishes, his desires, his dreams, his plans, his aspirations with genuine humility to the revealed will of God. And the revealed will of God was, David, no. You're not building the temple. And David embraced that. And David said, okay, that's fine, God. That's fine. But you know something that's interesting, friends? Whenever God says no to us in one area of life, it's always interesting that if we are willing to embrace that and accept that and put it behind us and keep going, God always says yes to us in some other wonderful area of life. That's true. He did for David. Flip over with me to 1 Chronicles 22. Let me show you how David did this. Now, where did God tell David no? He said, David, no, you cannot build the temple. But you know where God told David yes? He said, but David, if you want to go ahead and stockpile everything your son's going to need, yes, you can do that. So you know what David did? Instead of sulking and being all upset that God said no about building it, David embraced the will of God and got excited about where God told him yes. He said, okay, I'll get excited then about doing what you told me I can do, God. And look what he did. First Chronicles 22, verse 5. David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor. Therefore... 
I will make preparations for it. God didn't tell me I couldn't make preparations for it. And so instead of worrying about where God said no, I'm going to be excited about where God said yes. I'm going to collect all the things he needs. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Verse 14. And he said to Solomon, he said, I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed in wood and stone. And you can add to them if you want, Solomon. You have many workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, people who are skilled in working with gold and bronze, craftsmen beyond number. I got them all here in the city for you, Solomon. That was my role that God gave me. And rather than worrying about what God told me I couldn't do, I got excited about what I could do, what God said yes. Now, look at he says at the end of verse 16. Now, Solomon, you begin the work. You start building that temple that God told me no but told you yes, and you make it happen for the glory of God, and the Lord will be with you. Now, this is a guy who has subordinated himself to the will of God, just like Jesus Christ, who went into the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed three times that he wouldn't have to go to the cross. And what did God the Father tell him? No, you go into the cross. And what was his response three times? Not my will, but yours be done. That's what David said. All right, Lord, if your will is that I don't build the temple, fine. But you didn't tell me I couldn't get everything in town for it. And that's what I'm going to do. And he got excited about that. And folks, you know, this is the fourth and final step, but it's so important in our lives as Christians. So often we stop with just passively saying, oh, well, you know, I know God's got a better plan. I'm not going to worry about it. No, that's not the place to stop. The place to stop is to make it ancient history, stop even thinking about it, and press on with life. And there's some yeses out there that you can get excited about if you'll embrace the will of God. Whether it's looking for a new house or a new mate or a new job or a new car, at some point it gets time to just embrace the will of God and get on with it. And that point is now. It becomes time to make that stuff ancient history and put it behind us and let's get on with life. Because God's got some wonderful yeses out there for you. But you won't find them if your whole focus is on all the no's that you're worried about. Make them ancient history. Let's get on with life. Four principles to dealing with disappointment. Number one, take it into the presence of God and let him begin healing you. Number two, don't take it personally. Don't turn this thing into a guilt trip. But number three, instead, see it through the eyes of faith. That God has a bigger and a better plan. If you'll just trust him, you'll be glad he told you no. Fourth and finally, don't get so fixated on the fact he told you no that you miss the yeses he has for you. Make no ancient history. Embrace the will of God. Put it behind you. And let's get on with life. May God take these principles and free some of us. Liberate us from the prison that we've been living in because God told us no sometimes. Let's get out of prison. What do you say? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thanks for talking to us today. And I know what it's like to be in the prison of broken dreams. I know what it's like to wake up every day and go to bed every night stewing, sulking that you told me no. And watching relationships fray and watching opportunities go by watching the joy in my life dry up because I was so fixated on no, one thing, one little no, that I became a prisoner. Thank you, God, for giving us these principles that can liberate the soul. And I pray for friends here who are just like I am, who perhaps are living in that prison today 
of some no that you once told them. Lord, I pray that you would give them when these principles today the key to unlock that prison door. Open it up. And let's get out in the fresh air and find the yeses you have for us. God, use these principles to change our life and to make us free. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to So What with Dr. Lon Solomon. So What is an outreach of Lon Solomon Ministries. To listen to today's message or for more information, visit our website, lonsolomonministries.org. Thank you for your support. If you would like to contact us, please visit our website or call us at 866-788-7770. We hope you will join us next time when Lon seeks to answer one of life's most important questions, so what?